G'day and kia ora rugby fans, this is That Rugby Podcast, hosted by the Sports Booth. I'm your Kiwi half of this podcast, Luke, who enjoys a full trophy cabinet, running rugby, and whenever the Bledisloe comes around. With me is the Aussie mate, Husey, who loved Eddie Jones and now despises him, is used to being let down, and can't actually remember what it's like to see a Bledisloe win. Tune in for 30 minutes of no-nonsense rugby chat, a bit of trans-Tasman banter, and maybe a few laughs, if you're lucky. Get yourself set and engaged as we kick off That Rugby Podcast. Husey, World Rugby must introduce a law for players playing in other countries to be able to play for their home nations. It's getting, it's getting silly now. And the reason I touch point on this is not as a New Zealander, um, who's just disappointed that half of his All Blacks have less. But as a man who's living in England, seeing half of the English team leave the home of rugby to arch-rivals France to play footy in France has me questioning world rugby and just the way it's set up at the moment. I, I've got a quick counterpoint here. Uh, are you not just upset because you were no longer eligible to play for the All Blacks? Is, is that where this is coming from? Are you, are you worried about your own career prospects? You're now living in England? Well, you know? well I, there, I could, I, there could be a chance I end up getting an ancestry visa. And then yeah. then I could be donning the white jersey. No, I, um, which, which I would never do. So let's just start yeah. with that point. But yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah, I am. I can't play for the All Blacks right now, which it seems yeah. a little bit ridiculous. What have I had yeah. an all-time great 30? Like 30 might be my peak. You never know. I'm yeah, about to turn 30. And yeah. <laughs> it so might 30 be the way. Is a, 30 is a good age. 30 yeah. is a good age, you know. It's like, you know, we're, me and you, Luke, we're like fine wine. We just get better as we age. Like <laughs> arguably we are better now than we were when we started doing this show, you know. So it's just it's just like that. And that could happen to me, but I can't play exactly. for the All Blacks. But on a serious note, Husey, like yeah. you, you, I mean, I'm not. I, if you're looking for argument from my end, you're not going to get it. I mean, Australia is a case in point of this, and you know we've seen that some of our. I mean, if you look at the last World Cup, our one of our best players was Will Skelton, who does not live in Australia, does not play for a, a Super Rugby team. Right. Uh, another one of our very best players was Marika Corabetti, who, again, doesn't live or uh, play in Australia. Um, yes, I am in full agreement with you. As, as, for as long as there is pay disparity between the different leagues and nations of the world, there is going to need to be a counterbalancing. So, you know, there, it is one of the things that I like about. Uh, rugby and a lot of other sports is the idea of salary cap and the idea of fairness, right? Um, where it's not just the cashed up big teams that can win. Everyone's got an equal chance unless you're the roosters and you've got a salary sombrero and Uncle Nick is doing <laughs> shady deals with paper bags, Melbourne storm as well. But that again, that, that cheating is so heinously viewed by the sports world for good reason, because we all love Competition. That's why we're into sports at the end of the day, right? Sports is competition. We love watching it, being part of it, talking about it. It is competition. And what's what makes competition better is when it's fair. When, you know, you, you know, there's always going to be advantages and disadvantages, but when you level the playing field so much that you have to not only have the talent, but you have to have the smarts to overcome your disadvantages and play to your advantages strengths. So, when you have a situation like what we've got in world rugby where France and Japan 
are the two cashed up rugby nations. And that's where the talent is going because they need to, they, they, they sacrifice in their bodies. They want to be compensated for it. And I have no issue with the players doing that, right? That is absolutely within their right. And I, it is, I would, you would be silly to discourage them for doing that, particularly given some of the long-term injuries we've seen from rugby and other contact sports, right? You know, you need to support uh, yourself. You need to support your family. You want to give them a life of comfort. Often these people as well have got several family members they're supporting, both immediate and extended. Some of them, like we know with a lot of Fijian heritage players or Polynesian heritage players, they've got families back in other countries like Fiji, Tonga, Samoa. They're supporting and helping to bring to some of these other countries as well. And all of that costs money, right? And this, they, they have the opportunity to do that and to make a better life for themselves and for their family. And that's a great thing that rugby does is help them achieve those dreams. There is it, the, the counter balance to it is that they should still be allowed to pay for their nation, right? If France and Japan are attracting all this talent that's going away from these other countries, those countries are not going to be able to field as strong a national team as possible, which is disappointing. And that doesn't benefit anyone when it comes to World Cup time, when it comes to international competition time. Like, we want to see the best teams, the best players out there on the field, right? And that's what that's what it should be. So yes, I am in full agreement that World Rugby should introduce a law to allow players playing in other countries to play for their home nation. Now, the specifics of it, that's where I think we get into contention. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm assuming you're about to say you'd put a limit or a cap note onto it. Is that correct? I think you would... I, I'm, I'm torn here because... I'm sort of 50-50 on it. I, th- I think, though, it has to be consistent whatever you decide to do. I think it can't be one rule for one country and a different rule for a different country. I think every nation needs to be bound by the same rules. Now, I think you could do something where the cap is... Now, last time we had this discussion, I suggested a cap of six players. I've actually, I actually think it should be more than that now. I think you know, you've got a 23-man squad, essentially, with 30-extended squad let's say, I think that it should be 10 or 11 could be from another nation. So that's half of your 23 man squad. More than half of that has to be residing in your home nation. Um, That way there is still, there is still a bit of a preference given maybe to some of the players playing the home nation. I guess what, what it is, is that at that point, all of your superstars that are playing overseas, you're going to bring into your squad. You're going to have plenty of spots to bring them into the squad, right? But let's say then you're tossing up between, say, like a backup lock, one of whom plays in France, one of whom plays in Australia. You probably lean more towards the Australian-based player in that instance. You know, not, not one of your superstars, but a depth piece, right? And then that way, that depth piece gets valuable exposure to international level out of exposure to the highest level of play and they can develop and bring those skills back into the home competition. So that's my argument for a cap. I think it should be far more than the three that Australia currently has set or the absolute zero tolerance that other nations have. I I don't know if I'd go limitless cap though. I'm going to argue that point um, right now. And I, my ideology has changed over time. Like I, five years ago would have been like New Zealand, Cannot allow international players to play mm. rugby. Rah, rah. And I, the players started leaving, and then <laughs> I, I know, well, we get this every World Cup. But yeah, this yeah. this one hurt even more. But 
Now I look at it and I go, I'm seeing Super Rugby especially, two players, I think I made a post recently, who lead statistical categories who had played for Super Rugby teams over in the URC um, are leading the Champions Cups with um, Josh Mackay for Glasgow leading and I've forgotten his name for Munster, but I, if I remember it, I'll shout out. Uh, both of them have played for the Super Rugby teams and then I've gone overseas. And my thing is, it's going to take a brave coach to select them over someone who's in Super Rugby currently. Like, you've got to be a brave coach to select someone completely new. So my thinking is, even if you had a cap or didn't have a cap, like, it's good, only the superstars are going to come back. And yep. there's also that argument of, oh, they should have 50, you know, um, games for that country. Like, the, the World Guinea had yet to play 60 or whatever it was with the kiddo law for Australia or, like, five years of service. And I just think you're going to be a brave coach selecting someone to debut who plays for a France or something like that. It'll happen, and eventually. And we see like teams like Fiji, like you said, who have to do it. Like if a player's gunning it over in France, they're going to select them. But for an all-black, it just feels like the natural progression still will be Super Rugby, all-blacks, get your name up in the lights, you're an all-black, sign the big deal. So I don't see why there's a point to even hold a cap because – allow those players to go, and if they go, they're already risking their opportunity at a black jersey. You're not saying it's not a thing, but I just think, you look at someone like Nick White, Dave Poriki, who went overseas, came back as better rugby players, and then gets selected. Like, I just feel like actually being in and around the home teams or the super rugby teams or teams in your country, if you think about England, you know, Owen Farrell still would get selected. Henry Ardell will... Questions will still be up in the air because you've got local wingers putting their hands up. He hasn't proven himself on the England stage. Things like that, I go, there, there's still this, I think, there will still be in for a long time this, oh, what league are they playing in? And I think you look at English football and how many of them don't play in the Premier League. It's a big selection to not select someone yeah. playing in the Premier League. Now, that's obviously the Premier League, the, the number one league. But, yeah, I just think... You open it up because I don't think there'll be that big of an issue. I think coaches will be reluctant to select a debutant from overseas unless they're in the world a lot. Yeah, I get I get what you're saying. Um, and look, I, maybe my, my cap number is so large that it would really make a little bit of difference. I think you just have to think about it, though, in that you're sort of thinking it from a New Zealand perspective, I guess, like where Super Rugby is... Um, is th- is a bright lights stage for New Zealand rugby? Like it matters in New Zealand yeah. more than it matters in Australia, I think. Right. So I think there's a difference for an Australian coach when they're looking at uh, people. I think it's more of a level playing field. Players that play in Super Rugby as compared to playing in overseas leagues and you look at a lump number of the smaller nations well like your fiji like your island nations even places like uh japan or portugal you know tier two tier three nations georgia right they don't all have um local competitions but we would like them to we would like them to start building those up right and so i think i think it's because it, it's beyond just super rugby it's it's you when we're considering world rugby doing this we've got to consider other leagues around the world as well and so i think there is still a benefit to making sure you do include some local players in that 
mix. And when I say local players, I mean that play in the domestic competition because I think then they bring that experience back to the domestic competition after having rubbed shoulders um, with their um, players from the country that have been good enough to go and play overseas, right? Um, so I, I think there is a I think there is a benefit to retaining some of that local talent at a long term look at things. Now, again, this is a sort of highly theoretical discussion about how this works, and it is also about long term rugby strategy as well as short term immediate competition strategy. So there's a there's there's a few different ways to to look at it in, in that regard as well. I think if you're talking about um, just what is best for the next competition that comes up, then yeah, I think no cap is the most beneficial. But if you're looking at what's going to be best for the next two or three World Cups, mm-hmm. then I think that's where you have to take a bit more of a long-term view and say, yeah, look, we will have a big cap, but you are required to have some of your players, uh, a percentage of your players from your domestic competition or equivalent. You know, there are some nations out there that don't have that domestic competition, yeah. but for like your Australia and stuff like that, I, I think that's where it probably comes into the, the mix a bit. You more. think you'd just, yeah, you'd probably make it start off, especially with tier one nations. I think yeah. you'd be targeting and with the rule first, but it's a very good point. Like, yeah, I am, I'm definitely thinking, I think narrow minded a little bit with, with the future and hold. Cause as I say, at the moment, you're going to be a brave coach to select a debutant from overseas. But but again, yeah. I look at it in Australia's point of view, and I was like, yeah, is it Jack Dempsey, the, the Scottish-Australian, who yeah. came out of the blue, was very good in the back row, all of a sudden wouldn't have you loved to be able to pick him even to debut because he's killing mm. it over there. I just, again, I think, yeah, if you open up to 10, 11 spots, you're still risking it with... Is a coach willing to take a shot on a debutant? Whereas I think if you open up fully, it'll be a great story for some of those players. I just think, but mm. it is it is an interesting point, and it's one of those ones that I would love to see the stats on a team like South Africa, and go in all their games, break it down by percentage. How many players are actually based out of South Africa or based out of the URC teams or the Super Rugby teams, and how much are based away? Mm. And go, where is this good number if we do put a cap on it? Like South Africa yeah. showing, they've got obviously an unlimited law, but they haven't just selected players yeah. from outside of South Africa. They've obviously have still got some players playing in the URC and stuff like that. Yeah. So it'd be very interesting, I think, to see that. The rugby championship needs to align with Six Nations and expand to six teams. We've got two Six Nation competitions, one Northern Hemisphere, one Southern Hemisphere, and then we can have a World Rugby Championship. That's not the World Cup, but the winner of Six Nations versus the winner of the Rugby Championship. We can finally show every year instead of just every four years that the Southern Hemisphere is clearly better than the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, Now, what are the two teams that I'd bring in to the Rugby Championship? I think Japan is a good one, and I think Fiji is the the other one. Um, And then I think you've got a really good core um, six nations there. Uh, you know, Fiji did fantastically in this last World Cup. Japan had a solid performance as well. Um, you know, Fiji made it further in the World Cup than Australia did, who's an existing rugby championship side. You look at the other rugby championship teams, obviously New Zealand, South Africa, Argentina, all made it to the semifinals and beyond in the Rugby World Cup. So you've got a really great level of competition in there that is arguably higher than the Six Nations competition. If you look at the six teams that were proposed to be in the rugby championship, right? Australia and Japan came third in their pool. Uh, 
Fiji made it into the finals. Argentina made it into the finals. New Zealand and South Africa obviously played the grand final. If you look at the Six Nations, right, Ireland, France, England all made it to the finals. Only England made it to a semi-final. Ireland and France were knocked out round one. Uh, sorry, Wales as well made it to the finals, I should say as well. I, I, I've almost in my trauma forgot that. So four <laughs> of their teams made the finals the same as, same as with the uh, Southern Hemisphere um, Six teams, two teams did not make it into the finals, those being Scotland and Italy. So there's parity there in terms of international rugby achievement between um, these teams. Parity in terms of the competition as well. Obviously, you know, Wales beat Australia in the competition. Uh, France and Ireland had victories and losses against New Zealand and South Africa. So I think that would make a really great competition. And then you have a really cool moment during the year where you have the winner of the six nations versus the winner of the rugby championship. Um, or you could even do a bit of a, a bigger tournament than that. Um, you know, you could have the top two from each competition, so on and so forth. I think there's, there's so many possibilities here for world rugby to explore. I think international rugby, as we've said so many times is the pinnacle of a rugby. It draws in the most fans, draws the most attention, gets the most media. Uh, and, we just need more of it in our lives, to be quite honest. Yeah. So uh, there, there are a lot of benefits to this. The, the downsides of logistics, plannings, and cost, as always, the, the boring side of things. But I think rugby needs to adapt. I, I, I see what you're saying, and I do I do agree in principle. Like I like the idea of aligning. I like the idea of two Six Nations um, tournaments. I like the idea of the winners coming together and, and squaring off against each other and I think you could actually sort out the rugby calendar a little bit with this because you'd play the Six Nations at the same time I think mm. I think rather than as you as you can see with the the Northern Hemisphere they're playing the Six Nations in the middle of their club season we're about to kick off obviously Super Rugby I think it would be a Hell really yeah. cool way to build into uh, Super Rugby with a Six Nations international with you know some of those players missing Super Rugby so you get some real depth at the start of the season yeah. and then those players come back for Super Rugby now the argument I have as a newfound Englishman, as I live in England now, is Six Nations is the biggest competition in the Northern Hemisphere. And the reason it is the biggest competition is history. Now, I don't, as much as I think Japan brings a lot with money-wise, and I think Fiji coming across is great, the Six Nations or the Rugby Championship already, to me, is saturated. And I would just about argue the point, and I hate having to do this because I love Argentina, but I would argue the point that the best rugby we were seeing from the Southern Hemisphere in a, or the biggest tournament you could argue was a bigger tournament than the Six Nations was the Tri-Nations. When we had the three teams that have a lot of history against each other, that dislike each other a lot, that are wanting to go out there and absolutely tear each other apart, are those... New Zealand, Australia, South Africa. And I go, comparison to what you've got in Six Nations, where I think it's pretty much the same minus Italy. Like, those five nations hate each other and are good enough to tear each other apart. I don't want to saturate the competition even more. Like, Argentina, as good as they've been the past few years, came in and struggled. And yes, I, I want to grow the game and I get it. But you could, br you could bring out a subsidiary Six Nations with teams. So you'd go Japan... Fiji, Argentina, Tonga, Samoa, someone else in there. Um, and I go, 
that's probably just about a better argument to have and have your premier competition. Now, I know it's not growing the game, and I can see that argument. I can definitely see that argument. But for the history and for building on what I'm seeing from the Six Nations at least is sometimes you grow too much and you lose part of what you were. And the identity of the Tri-Nations has been lost. Like, in my opinion, why do we change from the Tri-Nations to the Rugby Championship? It should have been the Four Nations, if you're going to ask yep. me. Stuff like that. I think... I, look, I actually agree that it probably should have stuck with the Tri-Nations, but I think, um, you know, it's very hard to put the jack back in the box once the handle's been turned, you know? So now that you've got Argentina in, I don't think you can take it back out without severely pissing off Argentina and Argentinian rugby. I think they have more than earned their right to stay in the rugby championship. They have put up results. They haven't won, but they've put up results against those teams. They made it interesting. They've played spoiler. They've had a good role in there. And I think I, I, I really like your point about history, but history changes. History is built as well, right? You have to go through periods of shit, quite honestly, to, to then come into a good to, to build that history. Like Argentina in the rugby championship is still relatively new as part of that competition. You have to build up the law. You have to build up the rivalries that like rivalries don't just happen. They don't just spring up. Right. I mean, you, you have that subsidiary competition, right? What are the, what are the rivalries going to be in that subsidiary competition? Like the Islander rivalry, maybe a, a little bit, but again, you still have to build up those storylines, build up those rivalries. For, for me, I think it is, it, you know, you, you even said it yourself within the Six Nations. It's like the Five Nations plus Italy, right? And that's you know, and in time, Italy will grow in and be part of those rivalries as well. Although I can guarantee that they hate the English, and I'm sure they hate the French <laughs> as well, just because everyone hates the French, right? Yeah. So I think you have something similar in the rugby championship, like Australia, New Zealand, America all hate each other. But I think Argentina has got a strong dislike for New Zealand and Australia as well. I'm not sure what their opinion is on South Africans, but you know we saw the emotion of Pablo Matera when they beat New Zealand in New Zealand, right? Like that was... For him, that was such a huge one because he's been there, he's played there, he's heard everything, I'm sure, from the crowds there and, and things like that. And then to go into there, into your backyard and, and to win there, that was an emotional moment and a really big rugby storyline. And I think that would be the same with including Japan and Fiji in the competition. At the start, it's going to be rough, right? It's going to require some great... It's You look at uh, the Fijian Dura and Moana Pacifica, right? It's been rough for Moana Pacifica. The Dura have had some great storylines and they made the finals. Right, I think you you just have to at some point growth needs to be part of your strategy, and you need to be willing to swallow the lumps that come with that, the growing pains. Um, and I think greater alignment between northern and southern hemisphere will only benefit the game. Um, and I think that's we see that in soccer a bit as well, where they're all fairly aligned the different leagues. And I think that's what we've got to come to is we've got to. We've got to come together as world rugby, but also still hate each other's guts when we're on the field. But that, that's that's what rugby is, though. Rugby is you get on the field, you beat the crap out of each other, and then go have a beer with each other afterwards, right? It's yep. on the field. You know, it, 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 it's it's one of the greatest things about rugby. You know, there's none of this uh, American football, filming yourself in the locker room, trash talking, dancing around, uh, you know, making fun of the other team and whatnot, right? You get in there, you play the game hard on the field, have a fight if you need to, and then off the field, you hug the other guy, have a beer, 
And I think that's what we need to look at from the administration side of things as well, is we want to have the rivalries, we want to have the dislike and things like that, but we want to be all running on the same track because we're all heading towards the same goal. Yeah, look, I like I like your argument and it's, it's hard to argue against. I just, I look at it and I still think that Argentinian loss doesn't hurt me as much as a loss to either Australia or South Africa will. And I'm trying to work out if in my lifetime will ever... Playing Argentina mattered as much as me as playing South Africa. I think if Argentina wins the rugby championship, it it will. If they start to become a really good team, if they get a few wins in a row against you, yeah, it will. Or, uh, but do you see you that know, happening? I think it could. I think that's what the whole point of them being in the rugby championship is to keep building. I mean, you can't argue that Argentina has steadily improved over time. Right, and part of that has been in their inclusion in competitions like rugby championships, Super Rugby, great involvement with the Southern Hemisphere teams. Right, so yeah, I absolutely believe it could happen. And I, off the top of my head, I don't know, but I believe Italy's been in the Six Nations for a very long time. I imagine. I don't, I don't know how long. Let's let's have, let's let's I, do a Google, Google of it. Yeah, I be, I want to say they've come in in the late nineties. Uh, two thousand. So, yeah, pretty close, since 2000. So 24 years, and let's be honest, like, yes, they beat Wales, what, two years ago? Like, Mm. you go into those, still those Italian games, yes, they put up a fight against France last year, they put up a fight against a couple other teams, but I go, every single Six Nations (laughs) team goes into those games expecting a win, and even if they were to lose, like the Welsh one, as much as it sucks, it sucks for about a year, then you beat them again, and then it doesn't matter. Like, I just haven't seen enough from Italy over 24 years to say that a Japan and compare, Fiji is going to do that. Compare, I don't think you can compare Italy to those teams, though, right? Like, Italy is such a second priority in Italy Fair compared to, to football, right? In Argentina, which is one of the most football-mad countries in the world, rugby still holds a really special place. Fiji, it is the sport, along mm. with rugby league. We've, as well, we have seen that Fiji and Japan can already compete with the teams already in the rugby championship, right? Japan has beaten South Africa in a World Cup. Fiji beat Australia in this most recent World Cup, right? These teams have the capability to do this. The players in the Fijian Dura have beaten players in the All Blacks and Wallaby system in Super Rugby. So I think those teams are all better than Italy. I think this. The, I think if you looked at the Rugby Championship 1-6 to six expanded, I think you would say it is better than the Six Nations 1-6. to six. I don't know if quality could be an argument. I think your, your, your strongest argument is the, is the history and the rivalry and what makes it unique. I don't think – I think because Tri-Nations has been done away and we've gone to the Rugby Championship, you're never, ever going to be able to recapture that. You're never going to be able to go back to the Tri-Nations, which Easy. sucks because just, I love the yeah. Tri-Nations. <laughs> just take me back to the Tri-Nations of Super yeah. Rugby, Super 12, sorry, and yeah. and I'd be a happy man. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Look, yeah, I, I would be as well. Um, but we, we, have to, we have to move on from the mistakes of the past. You know, um, we have to we have to accept that what happened was probably not the best decision. But where do we go to now? Right, we can't go back to what it was before. There's been too much time, too much change. Argentina has earned their spot. I think it's time now for new, even more new blood to to come in, right? And then I think it is going to take you know to get that to that level of dislike. It is just going to take playing more and more games against each other, and you will grow to dislike them more and more 
and more because you'll see the same players taunting your players every time, sticking their boots into the rock, coming in with a raised elbow. You remember those little moments about things, or they get a call that their way, like the Australia versus Argentina this year in the rugby championship, right? The fact that that wasn't fucking reviewed at the end still really pisses me off. Right? And I can't wait to play in this year. And we get two games against them this year, thankfully. So let's fucking dig into them. You know, like that sort of stuff sticks with you. I think you, you I'm are arrogant, a bit blinded by all the success <laughs> that all the All Blacks have had. Whereas um, you need to get down on the suffering level. I think that's different in Six Nations as well. Like Six Nations, they are all can topsy-turvy, it's a more equal competition than what we've necessarily got in like the rugby championship or if we expanded it. The game of rugby is struggling a little bit with, uh, I guess, a personality crisis, Husey, and I say that because I just don't think we have enough yep. characters in the game at the moment, and I think the media um, wraps himself around that. And and you can see it with a, with a player like Owen yep. Farrell, especially, I, I think, who's a talented player um, but is very cut and dry like that is who Owen Farrell is he can't show much personality mm. and if he does he seems to get judged for it as well so I've, I've watched the pretty much all of um, Full Contact the new doco on uh, Netflix of the Six Nations from last year now I do want to just kind of put a point there that I think because it was a Rugby World Cup year there was a lot of players in a very serious mode mm. but what kind of shown through to me was we do need a bit more characters in the game. When I watch that compared to watching Drive to Survive, you just don't have as much players being themselves, like especially, I guess, if one very much an individual, I know there's teams, but a very much an individual sport where you are your own mm. brand, whereas international rugby, you're a team and a whole system um, getting brought up. And I just sat there and I watched and you saw the likes of Alice Genge and I thought Andrew Porter were very good, but then you get coaches like, Gatland, who, um, for the lack of a better word, are a bit like a wet towel um, and can't show much emotion anyway and then go on like that. And it was just, it just to me was like, it didn't quite capture me the way the F1 did and it's not going to capture audiences like that. Yeah. Because honestly, if you, if, you, if you can even remember, who's who's the last great character you can remember in rugby? Because I've got one on the top of, tip of my tongue. God, that is a... Uh, uh the honey badger, I guess. Exactly the one I was thinking. Like the only one who you can really yeah. say stands out and goes, yeah. you know, like that was a character. Um, yeah, Joe Wheeler, who has moved into New Zealand kind of um, sports media now, was a, it was a bit of a mm. character um, in Highlanders rugby and Highlanders always seem to have a good couple of characters in their team. But I just sit here and I go, we just don't have enough of those characters to build no. excitement. You know, you want to sit there and watch a docu like that and support someone. And now we've got this Australian one from the Rugby World Cup that's coming out that I'll be interested to see how a players are like. What, what, yeah. I guess, what are your thoughts on that, Fusey? You, you've got the building box in the Australian one, particularly with Taniela Tupo. He, he, he's, he's, he's got the ability to be a character. And like he did those ads a few years ago for the Wallabies, like promoting the upcoming rugby championship and the England um, tour, which was really good. You know, he went and did the whole high tea thing and I thought it was really funny. So there's opportunities for characters. Nick White is a character, but he's a halfback. All the halfbacks are, in their own minds, the funniest guys in the world. Um, so I think you've got building blocks there. But yeah, you know, I remember back in the day when we did, when we had great rugby commercials, Matt Giddo, you know, everyone doing the side lean as he does his 
does his kicks, you know, and then they had all the ads about it. I think it was like a wolf blast wide or something, and everyone's tilting their wine glasses. So you see the level tilt and stuff like that. Phil War was another great one. He, I remember he did commercials with like his ice bars and stuff, you know, like you have rugby has got the people in there to be characters, but it's, it's about showing them, right? It's about making it about more than just who they are on the field. It needs to be about what they're like off the field as well, right? You look at rugby league, forever the comparison for rugby union, right? You know, the characters of that game, Jerome Luai, right? Brandon Smith, right? Cameron Munster, right? They've got, they've got their cheeky personalities that they let come through. Um, You know, the Matty John show does a great job of, highlighting those characters when they come on the show and things like that. Um, so I think you need to have more stuff like that for, for rugby to really highlight these, these players um, and they can do more on their social media and stuff as well. Like I think it's a concerted effort all around. Uh, and yeah, I, I agree with you that the full contact is a good starting point. I think the Wallabies documentary would be a good starting point as well. Keep it going, right? Keep it going. I'd love to see, a 2024 Wallabies documentary, right? Almost hard knocks. I'd love hard knocks style thing every year for the Wallabies or for the All Blacks or for these teams, you know, like get a good narrator in there. See if Leif Schreiber surely must be available. Like he only does hard knocks once a year. Like he's got to be available to do other documentaries as well, right? You get the, if you get the voice of hard knocks, like imagine Aaron Rodgers, we know is a Leif Schreiber fan. He loves hearing him do hard knocks, right? So Aaron Rodgers, a tuner, you get Aaron Rodgers posting about rugby, (laughs) You go, rugby Australia, we've got these ideas, you know. But yeah, imagine a hard knock style thing where, you know, hard knocks typically does show off teams that haven't done so well. They don't typically show off teams with new coaches. I think that's one of the rules is it can't be a first year head coach. But it's often teams that have had dysfunction and how they're building up from it, how they're handling, um, you know, the weight of expectations. How, you know, imagine that for Rugby Australia this, this year, right? Joe Schmidt coming in, you know, Michael Hooper, Exiled last year, he's gone to rugby sevens. What's his role in the Wallabies this year going to be? How are they are they going to have him around in any capacity? You know, you had Carter Gordon, who you know, essentially is this. I, I, this might sound harsh, but he's sort of the Zach Wilson of Australian rugby, right? You know, really high um, hopes for him. Didn't deliver on them in the World Cup, and I don't think that all falls square on his shoulder. And just like with Zach Wilson, you had Adam Gase back there as well. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, what? what is he doing this year? How's he going to overcome his struggles? You know, you've got your veteran coming off an injury, Alan Alatoa, right? Huge injury to come back from, especially from a, from a prop. Uh, you've got a whole, you've got the drama in the background of um, Australian rugby needed to do well after such a poor performance in the World Cup. You've got super rugby that can d- d- dictate players' availability and whatnot. I mean, you can also see how the players navigate through super rugby into the Wallabies' Um, period, right? Uh, there's there's so much content that that's there for the taking, you know. There's so much there. Like imagine you had a a weekly series on stand in the style of Hard Knocks, where it goes over basically the previous week's game, um, like at the preparation leading up for the the game and things like that. I think that would be immense. I think that would do wonders for the game because I look at a lot of these rugby players, and we really don't know much about them compared to your NFL players, your NRL yeah. players. NBA players, right? We don't know what type of bloke they are, right? Which is, which makes it hard to be really passionate fans of any one player unless they're exceptional. Me with Michael Hooper, you with Artie Savia, right? It makes it hard to form attachments to these players except for what they do on the field. But that's not what 
fans always want. They want to form attachments to these players off the field. You know, Charlie Gamble two years ago, when he sort of burst on the scene on the field, but he was also quite a personality as well with the mustache, mm-hmm. right? And he was active on social media and stuff like that. He he played into it, right? This is what we need more of. That's a good again, it's a good starting point, but we need more than that. We need to see these players not just as players, but as people as well. And that's what'll get fans really invested in them. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I think um, a yearly hard knock series on one of the international teams would be fantastic. And I, I think you'll see yeah. more and more, as you said, like the Six Nations with this. Like, I would love to see a, a, the rugby championship or even a Super Rugby doco mm. series like this on on a team and yeah. specifically looking at things like that. And I think you could do it so well, and you could allow these personalities to come up. And 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 I have to be honest; it's hard. Because I know the All Blacks do this no dickheads approach, and yeah, sometimes being a character makes you out to look like a dickhead when you're not a dickhead. But yeah, as much as the All Blacks do that for success, and I get that, there also has to be some fun in rugby. The reason everyone plays and watches rugby yeah. is to, for enjoyment, and sometimes you do need as much as you can't be a complete and utter dickhead you do need a little bit of dickhead into you to have a bit of fun yeah. and and like telling Alatupo doing those ads is, is not him being a dickhead but you know what I mean like it is it's just having fun like got enjoying some personality. it yeah and yeah. it's like we need that and that and and I'm highly critical of the All Blacks because they are they just I don't know what they do but as soon as you step into that All Blacks team it's like they just go and zap their personality for you, from you. I just it's it's yeah. some they've got some machine where they go yep you're now an All Black you're wearing the black jersey you're now mm. and you're now just an All Black that's all you have. And you've seen it like yeah. Rico Ioane to me is a massive personality. He is a, he is a Jerome Luai of the All Blacks, like he has sat there and on yeah. the field has told Welsh pricks that they're never going to beat the All Blacks. He's done lots of things like that. Absolutely loves talking smack, and it doesn't get highlighted that much because they've definitely told him to wing back on it and just focus on his rugby. And it's like, as much as you you want that, I want to see Rico show that he's the best and tell everyone he's the best. And I just kind of go, mm. I just feel like yeah, we 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 lose that because we, especially as the All Blacks, who I have to hold as the ones that are the worst at it, they just drag them and say, nah, you can't be anything but I've an got, All Black. I've, I've got another great example for you, right? Roger Tuovasashek, incredible opportunity to bring a lot of NRL fans mm-hmm. into supporting rugby. Heard nothing from him while he was in Super Rugby. He just there played rugby. This is a guy that was a Dallium medalist, you yep. know, grand final winner, one of the best players to play NRL, right? And we heard nothing about it. Mm-hmm. We heard nothing from him. He's just there... He, he's just got, he's just, he was basically told, we can only assume, yeah, come in, put your nose to the pavement and work hard. And, yeah. and that's it. And that's, you know, that might be good for him to, that, that might've been, I think that's still part of it. Yeah, for sure. But this is a guy that was beloved in NRL circles. Everyone knew what an amazing guy he is. We heard no stories about him, heard Next to no interviews from him at all, you know, it, it was a it's a really wasted opportunity. Yeah, how are they now saying that as well that you've brought that up? How they didn't do a docker series on him, and I'm sure he wouldn't have been against it. It would have been a great brand thing for him about that transition. This was yeah, like you said, one of the best rugby yep. league players making the decision to come across again. We are 
we are getting there, but we're just missing opportunities. And I guess it probably comes down to a little bit of funding and risk taking, like who's willing to to go out of the way and do that. But mm. I just go, I think eventually we need these characters if we're going to survive as a sport. We need to be able to go. Yes, this is who we are, and and we are. And and I look at England. Marcus Smith is a very flamboyant English ten, isn't he? Mm. Like you're not you're not used to that. You know, you're used to your Johnny Wilkinsons, who all they do is practice their drop goal kicking, and George Fords, and and you've got this new breed coming in. So hopefully, something like that can get around the Finn Russell, who's you can tell is mm. a character like loves loves a beer off the pitch, loves anything but sometimes rugby, but. He also is a great rugby player, and we need more of that. And he stars yeah. in the, the the full contact. So I'm I'm hoping we can build on that and get a few more doco series going out. And I'm really excited to see this yeah. this Wallabies one um, to see. Yeah, if we yeah. are we going to see some characters. Uh, you know, Eddie Jones is as terrible as it was last year. He he brought a lot of new stories in. Not all good. It was a circus, as we yeah. said, but there was. A character there and you either loved or hated him and a lot of people turned up to hate mm. him because he didn't deliver but say he delivered and say they Aussies you guys won the World Cup the news stories that would have come out yeah. about Eddie Jones then it's just things like that uh, sometimes it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a coach and it needs to be a player but yeah um, for now this has been Luke and Husey from that rugby podcast hosted by the Sports Booth we will see you next time goodbye peace